Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Roger Lovell. You probably all know who Roger is, and if you don't, get your head out of the sand. That's Brad's older brother and part of Lovell Racing, the guys that that had some great news in the last week or two, and it's going to be really good to see you guys down in Vegas. I'm assuming you're going to come down to the induction dinner for Ormhoff. Is that correct? Wouldn't miss it. All right. So, Roger, thank you for coming on board and uh, telling your side of the story. Well, thanks, Rich. I appreciate the time. Let's uh, let's start off. Some of the people that'll hear this have not listened to the uh, to your brother's podcast. So, where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born and raised in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Born in the same hospital as Brad, and actually same hospital as my wife as well. So, oh wow, never left here. Never left. You left the hospital, of course, but left the hospital. <laughs> yep. So, yep. what was it like growing up in in Colorado Springs? as a kid? Well, you know, it's, it's changed an awful lot since I was a kid and, and it's, it's grown an awful lot. Brad and I both went to the university of Wyoming to college as engineers. And that's when I kind of, you know, I wanted to, at that point in my life, I really wanted to stay in Wyoming because <clears throat> I like the people and I like the slower pace, but, uh, ended up where there's work and back in Colorado Springs. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun and, and I, I don't plan to go anywhere. Excellent. Excellent. It's, that's interesting. I, I have no desire to go back to my hometown, but yeah. you know that's the San Francisco Bay Area too. So it's all overgrown. <laughs> well, you gotta you gotta leave to to have that experience. And yes, I guess I never really did that. Let's uh, let's talk about those early days and school and and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know the the things that you that you did as a family because I one of the things I'm really impressed with with Brad's story and your story and having met your families is that it is such a family. I mean, it seems like you guys are almost like joined at the hip at times, but there, I see nothing wrong with that. And it's great that you're able to do that. So let's talk about that. Yeah, it is really neat. You know, I got to give credit to our mom and dad. They, they raised us to, to respect family and know how important family was. And that's something that, Brad and I both carried on in, in our lives, but going all the way back, you know, I was born born in Colorado Springs, and it was it was December. There was a nasty blizzard, and to get home from the hospital, I had to ride in the back seat of my dad's. Uh, I believe it was a '68 Bronco at the time. So <clears throat> my true experience with four wheel drive started shortly after I was born, coming home in the blizzard. And, you know, growing up <clears throat> was a lot of fun with. We did. We started doing some camping and whatnot as a family. And every time we'd go camping, of course, my dad always had a Bronco, and Brad and I would always try and convince him to go do some of the hardest trails up in the in the Colorado mountains. And 
as a dad, now I'm starting to understand it a little bit better because <laughs> I prefer just to sit around the campfire and drink beer. Um, but we were always pushing him to go out and do that stuff. And, and it wasn't long before, before I got my first car, uh, which was a 86 Bronco two, you know, the, the wonderful Bronco two. And in fact, I still have it, uh, but I've been working on it for 30 years because I just keep modifying it, making it better. And, and whatnot. Now it's a full-blown, close to a race car. Wow. Um, but we started doing that. You know, I had I got my license first, and, and Brad got his license. But the interesting thing about Brad is <clears throat> when he got his license, he got a he got an 88 Ranger. And he didn't want anything to do with, with his truck or anything like that. He was just into flying model airplanes. I kind of went to him like, man, you realize how lucky you are? You've got this cool vehicle. You ought, to, you ought to do some stuff with it. So we started going up camping and then got involved. You know, our cousin Mark had a Jeep, and he's our, our older cousin. And we'd all go up camping, and we'd always shoot to find the hardest trails, the most difficult trails we could do, trails with a, a destination in Colorado. And then we started going to Moab, and as brothers would have it, we start competing with each other a little bit. And, you know, stupid little competitions. And then we ended up at Supercrawl and uh, as spectators. And that just really lit the fire for Brad and I. And before the before the event was even over, we figured out that that was something that we wanted to do. And that was, that was 2002, I think. Um, maybe it was 2001. I can't remember, but it was in Farmington. So on the, on the way out of town, we bought a Dana 60 for the, the front of Brad's ranger and we went home and we started modifying it right away to to turn his ranger into a rock crawler and go rock crawling and that ranger was the first ranger that we built and every once in a while it it pops up for sale and uh we we had so many competitions and so much success with that thing that it's just it's crazy that it was something that we just built in a little two-car garage with a with a welder and a grinder but it still pops up for sale, and, and the people who've had it have kept it in great shape. And you love seeing something like that. Right. I think I think Jonas Burnett has that car now. I You're did right. A, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I did a uh, and he restored it because when he got it, it was it was pretty beat on. Well, and, I'm glad I didn't see those pictures. Right. <laughs> but we uh, he he's done a great job restoring it and bringing it back and and competing in it and he's and it's still competitive it's it's amazing that uh something that was built that long ago you know you guys did a good job with that so when uh when you guys were younger and and out camping and stuff like that um did you uh you know that's when you were younger kids you weren't driving yet but did you did you start with ATVs or motorcycles or just bicycles or you know what was the beginning we did, Brad and I both did some mountain biking, but okay. neither of us, uh, I guess it wasn't until after we got our licenses, we both had some, some dirt bikes. I had a ATV at one point in there, but mom wasn't too hot on ATVs or motorcycles. So I guess we kind of skipped that phase of our lives and uh, just went straight for, for four wheels and, and a V8. And then going to, you know, exploring some more of the schooling. Um, if you guys both went to Wyoming for, and that's in Laramie, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. And you went in, uh, which by the way, I love that town. If I was going to live in a, in a, in a town in the mountains, that would be one of the places I might live, except Wyoming, you know, you know, Wyoming is an Indian word for always windy. Uh, so, and yeah. that's co- very correct, <laughs> but we very uh, windy and very cold in the winters. Yes, it is. But, uh, it's a beautiful town and it just seems right. I mean, all the old buildings and everything, but you know, what was, uh, what was school like if you guys, I would imagine you guys were both pretty good. Um, if you went up there for engineering that you, you had to have some good grades and stuff. Yeah, I struggled a little bit my first year in college. I couldn't, you know, I, my math scores, believe it or not, my math scores wouldn't where they where they should be. So it it took me a little longer to get into the engineering program, and uh, of course I had some fun, maybe a little bit too much, like we all do. Yes. Um, but uh, 
I, I, I knew that I wanted to do something <clears throat> with engineering. I've always, you know, outside of, outside of the off-road side of the world, uh, I love construction and I'm always building something, working with wood, uh, doing that kind of thing. So building stuff's always fascinated me. And that's what a lot of my jobs were when I was in high school and whatnot, framing and, and doing that kind of thing. So I wanted to be in engineering. And uh, I don't really know. I've never really found out why Brad kind of wanted to do engineering, but he's got a really good mind for it. I graduated from college and I went on to get my license and he just never really did. But it doesn't really matter because he takes everything we both do. You know, the thing about an engineering degree is it doesn't it teaches you a different way to think and it teaches you how to analyze um, pieces and in working with our sons, it's been really easy to explain how something works and then see them grasp the same the same concept. Uh, so, you know, whether you use it or not, you use it every day. Right. And and you're doing, um, yours yours was structural engineering. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Structural engineering. Because I know there's there's a million. It seems like there's a million different engineering facets or whatever you want to call there, it. Yeah, there are. And I, I figured I'd choose the one with the highest liability and the lowest pay. <laughs> made great sense at the time. <laughs> so I, and I know now that you're, do you work for the County or the city? I, uh, I'm the, the building official for, uh, the building department, not really the city, not really the County, but, uh, building official for probably the, the largest building department in Colorado. Okay. So that keeps me busy. Right. I'd imagine. So then let's, let's talk about still in the school. Were there, did you guys, did you play sports at all? Um, or was it more, you know, what, what did you do for extracurricular activities? You might say besides the classroom stuff. Rich, have you seen me run? No. You but you're a spotter. Run, you see me run a little bit during during competition. Well, and, that's and, that's that fear factor. I know that. And I, that's I only get when that I too. have to. Yeah, flight. What I call fear flight. Yes. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't play any sports in in high school or in college. I, I don't really know why. Um, I think I was just kind of. I was kind of focused on my own thing, and I think the big part for me was. Uh, and I can see it in my son too. And I guess that's the best way to reflect on it. He comes home from school and the first thing he does is he goes out to the shop and he starts working on his Bronco. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I was doing when I was that age too. I get home from school, do my homework and I'm out trying to, you know, figure out a way to put bigger tires on my Bronco or, or something like that. And quite frankly, in, in college, I, I think I just have to study more than most people. But I spent all my all my spare time studying and and doing what I could there and and then on weekends obviously having plenty of fun that you shouldn't have. Right, um, I know all too well about that. I went to college, um, a private uh, liberal arts college down in Santa Barbara, and even though it wasn't part of the UC system or anything like that, um, we spent a lot of time at UC Santa Barbara. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, you touched on Laramie. Uh, in the winter, it's really cold and it's really windy. There's not too much else to do uh, other than other than drink beer. But I did have, you know, I actually, it's kind of funny. I, I did have my dirt bike up there, and it was a it was a street legal dirt bike. My my Bronco died on me, and I was living off campus. And the only way I could get back and forth to school was on my on my dirt bike in the winter. And I tell you, riding a riding a dirt bike in twelve inches of snow or on snowpack roads—that's <laughs> that's an experience that everybody should have. But a lot of the times on the weekend, I just jump on my bike and and head up towards Vitavu or you know go out and find some trails. That was obviously quite a while ago when it was a lot easier to access public lands and and get out there and just do stuff. Right. Um, we just did the some Vita of my Woo. best memories. What's that? I said we just did the Vita Vu. Yeah, um, that's a cool area. It really is. Um, I'd yeah. like to put tire tracks on it, but I don't think they'd appreciate that. I yeah, they might not, but <laughs> uh, it's it's beautiful though. Yes. 
So anyway, you, you were able to access a lot of the public lands back then. Yeah, I'd get out, you know, find a way, just just follow just follow roads. And there was no I didn't I didn't have a cell phone. You know, not being smart, you don't have a cell phone, you just go out and ride all by yourself and like looking back, I don't think I even told anybody where I was going. But um but I didn't know where I was going either. And that's just some of the joy of being young and going out and doing those things and exploring and seeing where you end up and then trying to remember how to get back home. Um, but great times. And I think looking back on some of that, that's what, that's what really kind of fostered my desire to, to stay continued and off road. And, and it just keeps, it continues to evolve. Right. So are you racing or anything like that? Now, occasionally, I mean, you you said your car, your your uh, Bronco, too, is pretty much a a race car now. Are you going to get? Are you racing it? Or no, I'm not going to race that. That's just that's kind of a pre runner type of thing. I, you know, I, you remember you remember Nick Sosha, yes, who who got hurt at uh, uh, at a rock crawling event, and there was a raffle on Pirate and. We were right there at the event. My wife was there, and, and we kind of we were around it when it happened. So we jumped on the raffle, and I think I, I don't remember how much money we threw in, but we threw some money into the raffle. And one of the grand prizes was a SNM Fab uh, chassis. Okay. Well, actually, that was the grand prize. Well, she won it, and she's not really the off-road type of person. Somehow, I convinced her to let me have it and build that. And the trade-off would be if I could build that, I would paint my Bronco pink. Well, <laughs> my Bronco still hasn't been painted Uh-oh. and it's not going to be pink. I'll tell you that. But, um, so I built that and that kind of changed what I wanted to do with my Bronco. And, um, end of that car was when I raced it on Pikes peak in 2011. And I had a, I had a really bad crash on Pikes peak. Right. And, um, so that was the end of that car. So that changed the evolution of the of the Bronco again because we were having kids and we wanted four seats. And then my wife decided that she wanted uh, a Jeep. So that changed the evolution of the Bronco again because we didn't need four seats. We had four seats. Right. So it just keeps changing. Was the uh, did you buy a pink Jeep? Uh, no, it was a maroon colored Wrangler. Okay. And it was. She wanted a convertible. She wanted a convertible, but she wanted to be able to drive it in the winter. Well, at the time, that's the only option. Right. So, okay. But she got she got what she wanted in the long run, just not pink. Just not pink. Okay. Yep. Yep. Because I know from experience that uh, what they want in the long run somehow has to work out. <laughs> Somehow it always, but, but it works out the same way for us, Rich. Yes, it I'll does. I'll always figure out a way to get what I want. Just yep. got to put some more effort into it. Correct. Yeah. One of the things that, that Shelly brought is that, uh, to our relationship is the, uh, I guess the self-control when I, and when I say, oh man, we need, to, I need to do this. <laughs> she'll go, well, you can do that if you can find more sponsor money or right. something like that. And I'm just like, oh. Okay. Oh you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess I got to do that first. Exactly. Yeah. We're in the old days. It was just like, okay, well, we'll figure it out later. Let's get what we need. Yeah. Yep. So then, where's the drive now with off road for you? I think the the drive for me, and it's it's changed in a couple of ways. I used to really get a kick out of uh, being in the left seat and driving, and or and or co driving. Um, I think what I really enjoy now is the, the co-driving piece of it, um, especially with I, I have a son who who just well, actually, Brad and I both have sons. He has two. I have one and all three of them got their license, uh, their driver's license yesterday. Oh, so wow. um, so it's been a lot of fun kind of working with them and, and teaching them some stuff. And this year at the Mint 400 we entered a UTV and the, the boys all have, they've all raced before. They haven't driven in a race before. We raced the Baja 500 two times with them as, as co-drivers. And Brad and I just figured, well, why not? Let's put them in the right seat or the, the left seat and 
see how they do. So I co-drove the Mint 400 for all three boys. And I got to tell you, that was probably one of the highlights of my of my racing career, just to, to be there with those those young minds that can do things that you had no idea that I don't even know where they learned it or how they learned it, how they learned to pass, how they learned to run and dust. And um, it was incredible. So that's kind of what I'm enjoying, enjoying a little bit more right now. And work, work gets difficult. It's hard for me to get to every race and, and make all the events, but being involved with, with Ford in the new Bronco program has been a highlight of my career as well. Right. How did that all play out? Well, I, I don't even, it's, it's impossible to even count right now how many Broncos uh, that we own between our two families, but it's, it's plenty of Broncos. Some would say we have a, a Bronco problem and I think we probably do, <laughs> but uh, Brad and I've always loved Broncos. And when there was starting to be some rumblings about Ford, maybe reintroducing the Bronco, um, Brad told me, he said, I got to be involved in that program. And, and he was dead serious. And he, he made some contacts. He talked to a couple people and he got involved in it. And he's been, he's been working on that program for about four years. So, and early on, he had this wild idea of, I want to, I want to build the Bronco, you know, I want to bring the Bronco back. I want to be part of that. And then I want to race one. And Ford listened. They, they listened so much to his input and to that of the entire off-road community. And that was, that was, that was really cool. BF Goodrich does a lot of that with their tires too, with the yes. development of the tires. And it was the same type of thing that Ford did. So that kind of, you know, one thing leads to another. And <clears throat> then we're talking about building, figuring out a way to build a couple of 4,600s to race in the stock class. So and you guys did that this last last KOH, is that correct? Yeah, we debuted the the first one, the first 4600 race Bronco that we have. We debuted that last year, and then we raced it for the first time uh, out at King of the Hammers this year. And uh, and we did we took we took second place in the stock class and uh, raced it a couple couple more times this year. And it's it's phenomenal. It's so much fun to drive. And that's a the framed vehicle, not the built off of the unibody Bronco right. Sport, right? Right, right. Nothing to do with a Bronco Sport. It's a it's a true two door Bronco, you know, body on frame, uh, independent front suspension, solid axle rear, and it was kind of our first, other than UTVs, it was our first venture into the into the IFS world. Well, I guess we had the we had the spec truck too, but. Uh, two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive are two different worlds when it yes. comes to independent suspension, and uh, it's it's incredible what that thing will do in the in the desert and eat up the whoops. But then when you get it in the rocks too, you know it's a short wheelbase. It's on 35s, and quite honestly, I'd I'd venture to say there's probably some places we can go in that thing that we would struggle with in our in our Ranger that we've competed with for 14 years i think wow so that's surprising to hear i don't know i always thought that that the independent suspension you have to drive them completely you know a lot different than a than a straight axle is that do you think that's correct maybe maybe a little bit in the rocks but once you it's I don't know that you have to drive it any differently. I think maybe if you took a solid axle car and put independent on it, you would have to drive it differently, but you drive every vehicle differently. Um, and I think that that's just part of the adjustment with learning the new vehicle. Uh, you know, you, you're not smashing a diff where you're regularly smashing a diff. So you can take some different lines that you normally wouldn't do. Um, the Bronco is a little bit narrower than our Ranger. So, we have to take different lines. True. Okay. I, cause watching like the IFS cars in the, the 4,400 class, at least it appears to me that they're really not crawling, but they're like shoving the, the, the front end through the rocks. They, they may be a little bit harder to crawl 
at slow technical speeds. If I was doing something slow and technical, you know, like a, a Wii Rock event, I don't think that independent front suspension would be the way to go. So there is probably a bit of a trade-off in the rocks versus the desert, but the difference that it makes in the desert uh, just eclipses what you lose in the rocks. Um, and I think that as we continue to evolve the technology and and shock tuning and some of the live valve stuff that Fox is doing, that we can really get those that suspension dialed in for um, a lot better performance on the rocks. But it's already it's already great. A lot of it comes down to to driver too, and the driver just really being confident in the in the truck and knowing knowing how it works and where it where it's going to get traction and where it's not. Right. So one of the things that I thought that, you know, everybody bagged on, on the, the release of the Bronco, especially Jeep owners and Toyota owners. Um, oh yeah. But it was, but it was, they were comparing the Jeeps to the S to the sport, the Unibot. Yeah. And it was like, come on people. That's like one of the Patriots or something, you know, Jeep Patriot or the little renegade or something like that. And then they, when they finally came out with the, the body on frame, the full size Bronco or, you know, the two door Bronco, four door Bronco, um, they, they kind of carried over. Well, you know, it's, they were still, people were still trying to compare it as if it was an S one of the sports. Right. And I, right. I don't and think I, that was fair. <laughs> well, I think, you know, if you look back on everything that happened, uh, Ford got the, they introduced the sport right before COVID hit. And they actually delayed the release of the Bronco when COVID hit. I think they were supposed to release it at the Detroit Auto Show and, and that got canceled or postponed. So the, the release of the Bronco was postponed and, you know, and then everybody thinks, well, the Bronco sport is the Bronco. So I think it was just a matter of, of not good timing all, all right. around. Okay. Um, I get that. Yep. That's that. I figured the same thing. And I think that, but it is, but it is a different vehicle. You know, the Bronco isn't what Ford wanted to do was, was build something that would compete with Jeep, but not, not replicate the Jeep. Um, something that drives a little bit better, has some better on-road manners and, and can still do a whole lot of stuff off-road and do it, do it better than, than the Jeep. In my experience of driving a Jeep, and Jeeps are incredibly capable. I love the the Rubicon that we had, but I would trade it hands down for a Bronco. Okay. Well, I'm a I'm a Ford fan in is in the fact that uh, the Raptor. I have a Gen One, and I I tell everybody it's my forever truck. I will have yeah, that until I get too. into until somebody wrecks it, um, you know, runs into me and totals it, and then. God help them if that ever happens. Um, I've got a I've got a Gen One as well, and it it sits in the garage most of the time. And unfortunately, due to some unforeseen circumstances, my wife is driving it right now while we get her car fixed. But uh, it's kind of you know it's like watching your kid leave. That's <laughs> that's my baby. I drive mine so much. I bought it um, from Josh Jackson. There oh, okay. in the springs, he that black yep. one he had, the tuxedo yep. black, and it had fifty thousand miles on it. And I bought it just under three years ago. It it sat for oh probably about four months now of the three years that I've owned it, and it now has one hundred ninety thousand miles on it. Does it really? Wow! Yeah. Wow. And That's it's it's good. not easy miles. No, no, they never are. No, they never are. Not with us. <laughs> nope. Nope. Truck's going to live a hard life. Yep. But it's okay. The, uh, it's built for that. I mean, it really, the thing has just been so solid. It's just amazed me when I hear, when I read on the boards and everything about people having problems, I'm like, man, th this has got to be, you know, I don't know what they've done to theirs. So they have these problems or, you know, what was done before they owned them or whatever, but there's been like zero, what I would call zero problems in this, in this, you know, besides maintenance items. Oh yeah. You got to do the maintenance and, and anything's going to have problems. You're always going to have, there's always going to be something. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm, 
I'm about as diehard a Ford guy as, as we get. I don't own anything other than anything other than Fords. I've never never been vehicle specific. I've just always driven what was available or what I liked that particular moment. But uh, like I said, the the this Raptor is going to be the forever truck. They can keep the you're hanging the Gen, on to that. Yeah, they they can keep the Gen two. They can keep the Gen three. Um, I'll just make you know when I need to replace the six two. You know, I'll figure out something that'll be uh, well that, faster. <laughs> that, that Raptor R maybe uh that that I kind of like the looks of that one. You know, I, they're That's just sure. the lines are too harsh. They they need to go back to that smoother lines, like you know, in the Gen One for me. I, the the lines are just too harsh. They're they're softer than I'd, the Gen Two, but not as enough. I, I'd agree with that, but something about seven hundred horsepower that I like too. Well, I'm thinking a Godzilla motor seven three with a supercharger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, might just yeah. do the do the trick. That would be a good replacement for the six two. Right. So then, um, with, with working with the Bronco team, how much, how did it, how did the input work? Did you guys, you know, test them out at each level or make recommendations beforehand or, you know, what was Brad the... was involved? Yeah. Brad was involved in almost all of that in the, uh, you know, the early on prototype testing and, and some of that. And with, with any vehicle like that, it evolves from different stages and and he can tell you all the stages. Okay. I wasn't too involved in a whole lot of that. You know, I'd ask him questions, and he couldn't even tell me. He he had to sign a non disclosure agreement. And he wouldn't even tell his brother. Right. But, okay. Uh, um. You know, he he was involved in the <clears throat> pre production or the prototype to the pre production, and then into the durability testing. And in fact, this week he's out in Johnson Valley doing more work with Ford on the Bronco doing more durability testing so they continue you know even though it's in production now they're continuing on on the next uh the next steps and that's where the bronco raptor came from is okay what else can we do so um it's and it, it's interesting how the input works and that's kind of what you're asking but the input they'll ask for you know you got a whole slew of engineers out there from every different facet from driveline to um suspension to every piece of the vehicle and they all want specific feedback and they got data all over the truck and you're really just a a test dummy in that case but they do want to hear what you think about it and how it performed in this this case and that case and they'll take it back and do some tweaking here and tweaking there and then go out and run it again and they they in the durability testing they literally say go break it go find the limit and uh, and that's pretty that's pretty interesting too to when you're challenged to go out and break something instead of challenged not to go out and break something. Like in a race situation, you want to survive. Exactly. You have to finish. I, first. I, I, I'm okay going across the finish line on three wheels, but. Um, <laughs> so then, where um, where do you think things are going to lead with the kids? You know, it. Just it's, as a, a guess. it's a great, yeah. I it's a great question, and I um, I want you know, and I have I have a daughter too, and you look at the differences between them, between all of the kids, and what I don't want to do is send them down a predetermined path. I want them right. to all be able to choose what what they want to do. Um, you know, I I my daughter she'll go to college. She wants to either be a baker or a marine biologist. Kind of a wild range but that's what she's got set now parker my son i don't even college might not be for him it might not if he doesn't want to go to college he doesn't have to but he's he wants to go build and work on trucks and and build race trucks he's uh he was on this year at pikes peak he was on the reese millen team working working with a porsche and uh, he's helped me out up there. I've been crew chiefing for another team up there for about five years, and he's been involved every year in that. Uh, he's working for my neighbor <clears throat> on his race car, and and he can he can TIG weld and fabricate. I'll just go ahead and say better than I can. So uh, he's got a great mind for it, 
And it, as far as where Brad's kids are heading, it's difficult to say, but they both have that same, that same mindset of fabrication and, and hard work, you know, a good work ethic. Right. So, you know, and Mike, I, I Mike Rowe wouldn't argue say, with I it. think there'll be some, some manner of motorsports involvement in the future. Great. Okay. Like to see the family tradition hang on there. That's yeah. Level racing isn't going to die. No, we're not, we're not going to let that happen. Cool. Excellent. And, uh, what about personally for you? Um, you know, what are your, what are your aspirations? What are the things that you want to see happen? I would like to, you know, the, the racing's fun and, and it's a, it's a, it's a great experience. I think part of maybe what I'm looking at right now is, is some of the been there, done that and what's next. Um, I remember years ago, Ron Stobaugh, we were doing really well in rock crawling and he was kind of our first, our first sponsor and we we're doing great in rock crawling. And I approached him the following year for some, some support. And he said, Nope, it's time for you guys to do something different and forced us out of our comfort zone. And that's what got us into some of the XRA and some of the desert stuff as well as rock crawling. So reflecting back on that, I think that's some of what I need to do a little bit now. And, and that might be a little bit more of the expedition stuff. And I'm really concerned as is Brad about, about land use, about the future of our public lands and, and uh, being able to access them and use them responsibly responsibly. Well, that's good to hear. Cause that's uh that's a big push that, uh, I, I don't know if I want to get back into the, into the actual land use fight, but to make others aware that maybe have more energy to, to do that, um, is, is a good role for me. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have much desire to get involved in the political side of it. That's for sure. But the education side of it and living in Colorado, even just going out and using it, I don't get out enough. So I need to do, I need to do more of that. That's our next step with us is to do exploration runs, discovery runs, you might say. The, you know, yeah. all these states have these, have, you know, trails, you know, there's like the TAT, the Trans-American Trail, and then there's the North-South routes that do the same thing, border to border. And those are the kind of things that I want to start doing and inviting people along that want to experience the same thing. And uh, exactly as we pull yep. away from the, the competitive side of it. Yeah, I think that's that's probably some of where I'd like to go. And we're doing a just a little boys trip next week, uh, where all all three of our boys will take their Broncos and Brad and I'll take ours and and just go do some trails around Colorado and just see what we find. Well, that's really cool. And did you do the the trip from Colorado Springs to Moab? Yeah, we've done that. I can't remember how many years we did that three or four three or four times and that's that's just such a fun thing to do and you can drive you can drive down the interstate and miss everything in the world you're not even going through the most beautiful parts of of colorado but when you can slow down and take the long way back and just enjoy the scenery it you just see things and you experience things that you'll never see again right i asked so, brad for the uh for a download of what you guys the the trip that we featured in the magazine. Cause I think that was just phenomenal to do things yeah. like that. That's the kind of stuff I, that I really want to do. I want to slow down. I see too much from the interstate. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, that's some more of what I'd like to, what I'd like to do. When you've gone to Baja, have you had the time to enjoy it down there as well? Um, you know, I've, I've done to a degree. Yeah. Rich, but not like I'd like to, uh, I've done Nora a number of times and every time with Nora, I get on a plane in Cabo and fly home. And so I miss the whole experience of coming back up. But the first year that we, that we raced Nora down there, um, we, we had some mechanical issues with the Bronco. turns out we could have fixed them, but we didn't know at the time. Um, we had some mechanical issues about halfway down and we figured, well, let's just continue on down to Cabo. And 
that was just, you know, stopping on beaches here and there. And it was just such a great time and seeing, the, seeing the beauty of Baja and really experiencing it for what it is. And Nora is a great way to do that. But when you can slow down even more, um, Baja is just, it's untouched. It's still the wild west, you know, and it and absolutely the, is. And the people yeah. for the most part, the people really appreciate, um, us Americanos going down there and enjoying their country as long as yep. we're not assholes. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And this earlier this year, I guess it was in June, took a family trip up to Alaska and we did, uh, 1300 miles in a, in an RV and just experiencing Alaska for the first time. And, um, man, that's the wild west too, in a big way. Yes. So I got to get back up there. I, I'd venture to say if I'd discovered Alaska when I was a lot younger, that that could be where I would have ended up. Um, well, it's pretty similar to, to Colorado. It is. It's probably just, it's not as hot there as it is right now. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We're suffering at almost a hundred degrees here in the Western slope of the Sierras in Placerville as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a hot one here. I can't, can't be in the house today because we had the floors refinished. So I'm out hanging out in the garage with the dogs and the and the swamp cooler. So, well, swamp oof. coolers at least work there. They don't work in Texas. No, humidity is no, already too high. <laughs> yeah, it works out all right here. So let's talk. Let's talk about Brad and actually, I think the family's induction into Ormhoff because Ormhoff is something. And this is the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame is really dear to my heart. I think it's, I think it's an organization that uh, every enthusiast needs to get involved with. And it's as easy as being a member at $25 a year. But I think oh, yeah. that's, my, that's my other goal is besides doing social things is to really push the Motorsports Hall of Fame. Because it's not just about racers or drivers. Um, it's about business people. It's about advocates. It's about pioneers. It's about media. It's it's everything that we that we cherish in off road. Whether it's four wheel drive, motorcycle, ATVs, uh, UTVs, um, young and old, it it recognizes all of that. It's everything about a dirt road, and and then that's what I love about it. You know it. It doesn't just celebrate, and it doesn't just celebrate the people who've been successful in off-road. It celebrates what off-road is and why it's important and why we need to, why we need to continue to, um, to recreate and, and keep these, keep the things that we have. And this was, and Brad got voted in on the first year that, an application was put in or this, this was actually his third year, third year. Okay. Um, yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I wasn't sure how that went, um, with him. I, I'm not sure with Lance either, but, uh, I know a lot of them rarely get in on the first, first time. Well, you just got to keep trying. And <clears throat> even if you know, it's a, a long shot, you got to try. It's kind of, it's kind of like a race. You might, you might've qualified last, you might've crashed in qualifying, who knows, but you still got to go out there and push hard and, and try and win and make it successful. And sometimes, sometimes the racing God shine down on you. And I was, I was just elated the fact that, that Brad was nominated and, uh, or that he was inducted and, and that he made it. Uh, I, I couldn't be more proud of him. He lives off road. The thing about Brad is he just, he lives off-road, not just racing, but off-road every day. It's what he lives and breathes, and and he doesn't know anything else. Um, literally, I don't think he knows anything else. Right. He's he's totally immersed. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you know, he was trying to build a shop, and he, he asked me some of, the, some of the simplest questions. It's like, yeah, you, you really – you're really into this off-road thing because you forgot everything you learned in engineering school. <laughs> so what was, what was his engineering 
background or what's his engineering background that he was he structural as well or you figured that out yep kind of yeah. like two peas from a pod huh right i so, figured as much maybe you know I'm, yep yep maybe you stole my notebooks or something i don't know <laughs> um, so then uh did he always ask, did he, did he ask, uh, you know, like, okay, where's the cool places to hang out or did he come up and visit and get the, to experience those? Oh, I think he came up and visited and figured that out pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's neat because going back to, going back to college, you know, not only were we there for a couple of years together, um, we also have a lot of the same friends and, and the same network out of college. So, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been great. It it really amazes me how close you two guys are, um, as brothers. I know that there can be a lot of competition and a lot of, it can build a lot of animosity in most, in the, in almost every group of brothers that I know. Um, you know, they, they get along, but not like you guys do. You know, well, you know, and it's it's not all sunshine and roses. There are times where we have disagreements and see things differently, and uh, eventually he'll come around and realize that I was right. <laughs> um, but you know, it it just it's one of those things we just we just kind of always been doing the same thing together, and uh, it goes back to goes back to the rock crawling days where we. You know, we didn't have, we were all of a sudden we were high tech and we weren't yelling at each other. We had radios and I could hear him as the spotter when he's getting ready for a big climb. I could hear him breathing hard and knowing him, I knew what that meant. You can get him to, you can tell him, calm down, relax a little bit. And same thing in any one of the race vehicles that we have. Uh, we can recognize each other just by the driving style or by the breathing or by a movie or movie your hand or something, you know, that he's getting stressed or nervous. He doesn't, you don't usually have to tell Brad push harder, but there are times where you can tell him, let's go, let's move. Right. Interesting. And, uh, did he ever spot for you? We tried it once or twice. Didn't work so well at least in, in competition, because he just, he always wants to be the driver. Uh, although he is, but we'll go out and do recreational four wheeling. Um, yeah, he's the number one spotter that I'd want to have. And we've done plenty of that, but in competition, he's better behind, he's better behind the wheel. So you're saying you're actually a better spotter. Well, I'll, I'll be honest, Rich. I would say I probably am a better spotter than he is, but He's probably a better driver than I am too. <laughs> okay. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I've always said that, you know, of the three parts of the team, the spotter was the most important. And the reason I said that is because you have to know how the vehicles, what the v- capability of the vehicles, but you also need to know the fears or the, the tendencies that the driver has, what they like to do and not do. Yeah. Whether it's a side hill or a big climb or downhill, yeah. The limitations yep. of the driver, the capabilities of the vehicle. Yep, exactly. Yep, hundred percent. So as uh, as the racing world goes and continues for Brad, um, you're you're more into the uh, the camping and the scenic wheeling. Is that correct? Well, that's what, that's what I really enjoy the most. It right. doesn't by any way mean that I'm going to step back from the racing side and any chance I, <clears throat> any chance I get, I'm going to get in the race truck, whether it's left seat or right seat. Um, cause it's, it's, it's just one of those things that once it gets in your blood, you can't get rid of it. And it's like a drug. Um, especially when things are going like they should be going. But what I really enjoy, especially about desert racing is, is the adversity that you face out there. Uh, you know, if you can finish a race without getting out of the, without getting out of the truck once it doesn't happen very often, but it's, you know, King of the hammers when as the, as the co-driver <clears throat> this year with the 4,600, the amount of winching that we had to do and be prepared to do. So it's the physical and mental side of that, that really 
I, I really enjoy that. I'm not, I'm not letting that go either. Good. I just want to do more outside and off road and less stuff in the office. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cause the office is a have to. The office is a have to. Yep. And the off road is a want to, which. Yep. Exactly. You know, sometimes the have tos win over the want tos, but ultimately the want tos are, uh, is where we end up. That's where we, yeah, that's, and that's where I want to end up as I, as I get closer to retirement. So do your daughter and your wife enjoy the off-road or outdoors as well? They love the outdoors. You know, the Alaska trip, they absolutely love that. They're not, they're not much on the, on the dust and dirt part of it. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, they do like to get out there and go camping as much as we can. That, that helps. That helps yep. when you can do it as an entire family. I got lucky. Yep. Shelly had really no experience being off-road or out. And, uh, and I got she doesn't really, mind getting dirty. No, she doesn't. And that's awesome. I yeah. found that out the first trip we took to to Mexico and uh, to Baja and took her across the goat trail from uh, from Mike's ranch, Rancho over to El Coyote. Okay. And yep. Put her on the outside of that cliff road and right on the edge. And yep. just to see how yep. she would go. And we get to the top and she goes, Well, did I pass the test? And oh I'm like, nice. Oh, what test? Uh, she goes, oh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. She she knew it right away, but she did. It was good. Well, <laughs> oh, you guys are great together. So, so explain your, your relationship. You guys went to, to school together, born in the same hospital? Yep, yep. Yeah, at the time there were only, gosh, I think there were two, two maybe three hospitals in town, so there wasn't a whole lot to, to choose from. And, and how did you meet your wife? I mean, I, I don't think you guys met yeah. in the hospital, right? No, no, I didn't meet in the hospital. My, my wife and I... Um, we went to we went to school together. We didn't go to the same elementary school, but we went to the same junior high. And and she will tell you that uh, she didn't know who I was, but of course she did. Um, I knew I knew who she was, and you know we graduated from college. <clears throat> I was uh, at the time dating her best friend for a couple of years, and that fell apart. And uh, and we ended up getting together. So. I remember her saying, you're not as bad as she said you were. <laughs> but the key word there is as bad. But <laughs> I got lucky. <laughs> I got real lucky. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you for that. That's for sure. So then, yeah. um, man, let's see. Have we, have we missed anything that, that you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about know. some of your experiences at, at competitions with your brother or, or driving your own or like the wreck on, on Pike's peak? Yeah, there's, yeah, that was, that was an interesting one. And that one, that one really struck me personally. Um, that was, I mean, I've had so many memorable races and events in my career, but that one will always stick out because uh, Pike's peak was part dirt, part asphalt in 2011 and so it makes it very difficult in a car for that of course i'm racing a you know a four-wheel drive 35s short course tires and i i'd uh i had a couple of issues in practice and i was down about 40 horsepower and i was i was popping the alternator and uh but i had the course down and i knew the course really well and come race day i had more horsepower but in all the practice i'd done i didn't account for one thing and that was spectators on the course, um, spectators lined on the sides of the course. So I lost my turning points and I lost my braking points. And quite frankly, I got lost. And at the time, Pikes Peak was the first sanctioning body that I'd ever raced in that required a head and neck restraint. Uh, if they had not required a head and neck restraint, I, I, I'm convinced that I would have broken my neck or my back. Wow. And things could be drastically different today. Uh, I took a, a really bad roll. I didn't go I didn't go off the road, but I tumbled at about 60 miles an hour down the road. And 
safety crew picked me up. I knew the, I knew the safety guy and he looks, looks at me because he knows my insurance isn't going to cover a trip to the hospital and says, are you okay? I said, yes, I am. He said, are you sure you're okay? I'm fine. So I got in the back of the safety truck and I go down to the start line and they'd already, they'd already red flagged the, the race and <clears throat> the first car lined up on the start line was Brad. And Brad sees me come down in the back of the safety truck. He knew that he knew they'd stop the race. And I look over at the side and there's my wife and my son standing there. And she had tears in her eyes and it even brings tears to my eyes right now thinking about how emotional that time was. But it just really makes you value everything that you have and how delicate life is and how important everyone is around us. And, uh, you know, that was probably the most memorable racing experience I've ever had. But besides that, being down in Nora, racing a 68 Bronco that you built in your garage that, you know, your dad used to have a 68. And you're sitting there <clears throat> driving down the beach. There's wild horses running on one side and waves crashing on the other. And you're, you're spending that time with your brother. Um, they're just, you can't, you can't buy those type of things. And, uh, you know, we, we lost our dad and about 20 years ago and we lost our mom last year. So it's, it's hard to lose family. So what racing's done for me is really make me value family and value the relationships that I have. And the best friends that I have are people that I've met, people that you see one or two times a year. But you see them and it's it's just great to hang out with them and, and have a beer. Right. So. Very well said. So then in rock crawling, you guys were pretty successful all the way across the board. Um, with different organizations, but what was, who did you feel was your biggest competition and who you always had to watch out for? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, you know, race, race or, uh, rock crawling with Joshim and, and Brian, um, they were, they were kind of always the ones that we had to watch out for. They were always on top of their game and could pull lines off that we just look at and go, Oh my gosh, how do you, where did you, how did you even see that line? Um, they were the ones that we were kind of always watching. You know, of course there's always a handful of others. Um, but Joshim and Brian were, they were forced to be reckoned with. Yeah, they were, they were a good team. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the fun thing about rock crawling is you can have a team like that that is just absolutely phenomenal. And one little thing can go wrong. Just the tiniest little thing goes wrong, whether it's a twitch in the steering wheel or something like that. And all of a sudden you went from from being in second place to first place or, or vice versa. Uh, that's one of the things about the rock crawling competitions that were always so fun. Just the you just on the edge of your seat the whole time. Yeah. That talking with, I, I talked to Walker Evans one time and I said, okay, what's the difference feeling wise off-road racing and rock crawling? And he goes, well, Rich in off-road racing, you know, you're sitting in line waiting for the green flag and you start getting nervous when you're about two cars away from the, the green flag and you're, you got your adrenaline pumping for maybe the first five or 10 minutes yep. of the race course. And then after that, you just settle in. He goes, cruise. until yep. doo-doo hits the fan. And then you get another rush of adrenaline. Yep. And he yep. goes, rock crawling, the adrenaline is there all day long. It's just in 10-minute in spurts. And learning to control it is is hard. Right. And sticking to your game plan. Yep. Right. Yep, exactly. And, and knowing and knowing when to adapt your game plan. Okay. That line didn't work. Do we try it again? Or do we do we try an alternate line? Right. 
I see that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I see yeah. too many people follow the leader. Yeah. And it's not about follow the leader. No, because everybody's car is different anyhow. I mean, even if you're, if, if everybody's driving a Jesse Haynes car, there's still going to be differences. It's, you're still going to follow it. You're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then, absolutely. um, racing Baja with your brother, like you said, in, in the Nora events, um, did you ever get a chance to, to do like the thousand with, uh, the BC cars? Yeah, I've done the thousand in the BC cars, I think probably about, I think about six times. Oh, nice. Um, and that was, that was probably what really got us probably going down to Baja and more interested in, in desert racing because it, we knew a lot about what we were doing, but we didn't know everything. And you, you know, you get involved with, uh, some like minds that have some tips and tricks here and there. And it wasn't long before Brad and I figured, well, we could do this. We could do this for our own program. Uh, we haven't taken on the 1000 under our own program just because of the, the magnitude of the event and the number of people it takes. And, quite frankly, dollars. Yeah. Uh, logistics and, and money. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, does, uh, I know JT Taylor's pretty busy right now, but he used to, uh, he used to, to work with your, your group, correct? On the short course. Yeah. JT worked with us on the, on the short course program for a number of years. And he was a, he was a real good asset to have as a, as a spotter. You know, the thing about JT is he's not going to mince any words. You know what you're going to get. If you were, if you were too slow up there, <laughs> he's going to tell you, <laughs> uh, he was, he was, it was really good working with him. And, you know, we've been around JT a long time and, and know him well, <clears throat> even prior to that. So it was kind of a, it was a natural fit and it's fun to see him continue to further his, his career too, with everything off road. Yeah. JT's a good guy. He's a good friend yep. to have too. And and yep, like you said, sure as a as a friend, he'll he's a straight shooter as well. He is, and and even when he's your friend, he will pull that knife on you uh, <laughs> and hold it at your neck just to make sure you know he's there. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, Roger, is there anything else that we haven't uh, hit on that you would like to uh, to discuss? Well, I don't think I have anything else, Rich. I'd just like to thank you for your time and the opportunity and, and the recognition and uh, wish you the best of success as well. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, wholeheartedly, um, congratulations to the entire Lovell clan for getting um, into the Hall of Fame, even though Brad's name is going to be the one on that page. It's, uh, well, thanks, it Rich. really is a group cause. Well, it is. It is. And I guess the way that I see it is just like anything else. It, it takes a team to make it happen, but you have to have a leader. And Brad's that leader that, that made it happen. And, you know, he's the, he's, he's the driving factor behind all of it. So I, I have great uh, respect for him as well as, you know, I'm incredibly proud. And I don't know where he got it from, but he got it and he's good at it. Excellent. Well, I, uh, I look forward, Shelly and I look forward to seeing you guys and, uh, hanging out down there for the, uh, Omerhoff induction dinner. And, uh, I'd like to encourage everybody to become an Ormhoff member. You can go onto the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame page and, uh, join and you get voting rights on the, um, not voting rights on those that get actually inducted in, but there's a, a number of things that, uh, other things that you can be involved with. And I really, I really would appreciate it if everybody joined that. And Roger, thank you for, you know, competing with us over the years and being such a solid guy and having such a solid family. And, uh, and I'd like to say a, a friendship too. I know I've called you a couple of times when we were trying to get races going on down in in Colorado Springs, oh, yeah, and you were able Graham. to help. Yep. yep, and you were really yep. able to help out a lot. And I really appreciate you uh, stepping up and doing that. Well, I'm only ever a phone call away, Rich. So don't ever hesitate. All right, I appreciate it, and uh, thank you for your time this 
this day. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. See you. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.